You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome, Welcome to the first of our um, five-part series on uh, the, what did I call it, fantastic? Five phenomenal, phenomenal friendships. friendships. Oh, okay, well, I, I, mis, I, mis, I, I mislabeled it on my source sheet. The five phenomenal friendships. Think phenomenology. Five phenomenal <laughs> friendships um, uh, from... Uh, um, from Jewish tradition, um, where we're going to uh, basically be uh, looking at um, uh, some models of, uh, of, of friendships and relationships in uh, uh, from Jewish text and Jewish tradition, Jewish history, um, with an eye toward um, seeing what those texts um, teach us about um, about friendship um, and uh, and and what insights we can uh, glean from those uh, sources about uh, how to navigate our own relationships. In some cases, they might be um, examples of what not to do. Uh, but in any event, um, it's, uh, the, the hope is that there's um, you know, some, some, both some uh, impractical Torah uh, in the sense of you know, kind of just um, uh, encountering some narratives from the tradition that you may or may not have um, uh, studied before, uh, and then some practical Torah, which is um, you know, what does Judaism say about, uh, about friendships, about relationships. Um, so with that, what I'd like to do first is, um, because this is a class about uh, relationships, um, that we shouldn't be strangers to each other. So uh, if we uh, wouldn't mind just going around the room and uh, um, just make sure that everybody um, uh, knows each other at least by name. So uh, say, you know, your, your name and... Uh, um, that's it. You don't have to say anything more than that. You can say whatever you want, but at least your name. <laughs> All right, so I'm Rabbi Knopf. Harry Hirsch. Ben Lehman. Mark Kane. Josh Kane. Franklin Wolf. Gary Goldberg. Shauna Webb Parker. Um, so the... So I wanted to do two things today, um, and uh, depending on how it goes today and what the crowd is like from week to week, we might reprise some of this uh, each week so as to not alienate people who come one week but not the other, um, uh, and uh, and, and uh, uh, have them feel lost. Um, the first thing I want to do before we get into the actual friendship that we're going to look at today, um, I put together um, a, uh, a source sheet with uh, some of my... Uh, favorite uh, Jewish statements from Jewish tradition um, relating to friendship. What I'd like for you to do is to find a partner or a group of three, um, uh, what we call a chavruta, uh, and um, and look at study the uh, study the statements on this list, um, and uh, and discuss amongst yourselves just for a few moments um, if any themes um, or uh, trends. Uh, uh, arise to you from this list, right? From this list of sources, you know what? Um, can you derive any sort of general statements about what you know what Judaism says a good friend is, um, or a good friendship is, or how to be a how to how to um, uh, be a good friend, etc. Right? So that's that's the task. Um, not not so uh, not. Don't 
like overthink it, right? Just read the text together and um, and and see if any you know uh, if any general themes um, emerge for you. Okay, so I think I have enough here. Let me take myself. Um, and uh, uh, so find a partner to do this. I think that would be uh, that would be helpful. Um, or, or a group of three is fine, uh, given our numbers. Uh, and just so you know, uh, Solomon Ibn Gavirul and Shlomo Ibn Gavirul are the same person. Um, I just you know um, just change the name to protect the innocent. Yeah. All right, take a few minutes. Don't be afraid to read the text out loud to each other. In, the, in, uh, in Jewish study, there should be a little bit of noise in the room. Halakha is, um, is uh, like Jewish knowledge and wisdom and uh, the way of practice, like, like a, a thing that, that is part of Judaism. So, so it would be like, you know, mention something about some type of practice that might be of interest to them and mm. as a way that they'll remember you. So it's like an FYI or something? It's kind of like that. It's a Jewish FYI. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Right? Yeah. 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 By the way, did you know that? <laughs> that reminds me. That's pretty heavy. Yes, yeah. That's heavy duty. <laughs> one thing I'm not sure about is on the, it's on the, on the well, and this is kind of interesting. Um, I like this one. Does the that friend refer to the friend or to the whoever? Well, in that it's not, it doesn't it's necessarily come easy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That that there's like an element of investment of time and effort. Um, which is often why people don't. To heart. It's hard, yeah. Right? yeah. Amod is a unit of measure, by the way. It's uh, an, an ama is um, but on the other arm's hand, length. Put these two together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, I guess so if you're putting in so much effort. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it's apparently like, it's not very far. So, like, the idea is that friendship keeps you alive. Right? Mm-hmm. No so man is an island. Exactly. Exactly. And that um, it's sort of like. Um, the friendship is like a lifeline. Yeah. Right? So the idea is to that to be a good friend. You make your friend feel good about themselves. And you emphasize all the good things about them. A friend is that you have to invest. I mean, I most of these are seem to say, seem to be saying that a friendship. Uh, we seem to be defining friendship as being a relatively close relationship. Don't exchange an old friend. Well, actually, I mean, if we, I think, I think that the perhaps way to read it is that 
Yeah, they have to walk with you in loyalty. Sure. That means that when they're with you, they have to be loyal to you. It's a much lower bar than being loyal to you when they're not around you. But you know, it's, it also kind of speaks to like... Like the newness of relationship, I mean, like you kind of feel like, oh, like this is. Pretty I think cool. that, I, mean, right. I, I think that right. perhaps if you contrast with walking with someone in the seat, exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, so like, like don't. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are like strongly loyal to you. They're not giving you a trap. Of a friend that you've had. I mean, it seems like they would be. Yeah, they would be. They would be a mutuality. Yeah, I think you would hope that. Yeah, I mean. I think the best friendships are mutual, but I don't think that I'm thinking in terms of like Facebook. Yeah. 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 I'm Okay, all right. I, I know that there's a lot that we can uh, talk about with, with these texts, and, and hopefully today and over the course of time we'll have an opportunity to talk more about these. And by the way, um, if you know now or you know, you're know uh, you traveling on the path and uh, you uh, encounter um, another Jewish text uh, that uh, gives a good insight about friendship that's not on uh, my source sheet here, and, and I could have done more, I just wanted to put it all on one page, um, Send it my way, or tell me, um, and, uh, and and we should include it. Right? This is certainly not the uh, the full extent of uh, what Judaism says about friendship, but these are some of the I think um, uh, best, most indicative uh, um, examples. So, um, what what did you guys uh, uh, come up with or think about in your Chavruto? What what were some of the general themes um, or standout ideas that emerged to you from these uh, from these texts? Um. Like just how deep friendship is, um, and we're kind of talking about knowing the difference between friends, friends and acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think this kind of really lets you know <laughs> the difference between the two. So, what's the difference between well, I friends mean, and acquaintances? Either friendship or death. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty. I mean, it's serious, but I mean, it lets you know just how necessary a friendship is, a true friendship is. And then the one following that says that you really don't acquire a friend without putting in a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. So if a friend is someone that you're willing to expend a lot of time and energy on. Mm-hmm. One of the things we talk about in today's world, it's really difficult to develop close friendships other than with your wife because of demands of time and what's going on and really to invest in another person takes great effort, it's true, but you're so committed, I mean, with the things that you have to do, and with family instruction. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, was a, there was an article like that in the New York Times, like, two years ago, um, and it's interesting to hear you saying it, Franklin, because it was talking about um, 
uh, you know, the the um, uh, you know the like millennial generation, how they're discovering how difficult it is to make friends, um, you know, after college, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's it's true. I mean, you're you're you know, in context where. Uh, that's why if you think about it, it's really interesting. You think about like the TV shows in the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, they all, they're, they're family uh, sitcoms, uh, and they're all, hey, come on in. Um, yeah. But the, um, the contemporary shows, you know, have like primary relationships being, um, it, you know, people that you meet at work, right? Um, so like think of the office, everybody's hanging out with each other. Um, so I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um. Well, I know when my parents were growing up, and this was like in the 40s, you know, there was a whole close circle of uh, friends, about five or six couples, that kind of did everything together. And Adelaide, it's just so much going on that we really don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting about the modern world is, you know, that there are all these ways of reaching out to each other electronically, and you'd think that that would enhance the ability to make friends, but in many ways, because you don't invest in direct face-to-face contact with You know more people. You keep up with more people. Or you know them textually. Well, it raises the question whether effective communication means face-to-face communication, or is electronic communication sufficient? Otherwise... I prefer face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I hate being on the phone. It's my yeah. I love being with, in person with that person. Right. Even my parents, I do. I'd rather be with them than on the phone with them. I feel like it's a drag on my time to be on the phone. Although I wonder, I wonder if that's a particularly male thing, right? Like, yeah. you know, my, my sister, you know, talks on the phone with my mom. They live, like, you know, two miles away from each other. But, like, she talks all the time with her. And, like, my yeah. conversation with my mom, like, my, drives me all crazy. But, like, what do you talk about? It's just like, like uh, you know, everything's fine. I'm, you know, whatever. Talk about the kids. There's always something to talk about. Yeah, the But that's an interesting dimension of this class. Um, is um, uh, the differences, if there are differences between the way men are friends with men and the way women are friends with women and the way men are friends with women and the way women are friends with men. Um, so I'm going to try, not today, today we're, it's going to be uh, two, uh, a male-male friendship, but over the course of, uh, of the next few weeks, um, I'm going to try to pull different examples of that, although um, uh, it's a hard to find um, uh, fully fleshed out uh, female characters in, uh, in in Jewish literature, um, traditional Jewish literature, uh, but there are some. So. One thing that wasn't here is about friendship. It's not the frivolous one. It's not hanging out and going to movies or whatever would be the contemporary background. Mm. It's 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 based on more intellectual life rather than uh, you know just having fun together. Well, yeah, and I think that it's it's illuminating the extent to which. Like, we seem to be contrasting friends with, with genuine enemies. I mean, especially that last one. I mean, it's don't let a solitary enemy seem trifling. Nor it's it, a friend is the person who, when the enemy shows up with their gun, with their knives, shows up with their... <laughs> I mean, like, I mean... It's, it's a family relationship, but I mean, I was just thinking about which is it, the, the war of the whatever it is, the nine kings, the one that Abraham fights. Five kings against the four kings, yes. yeah. 
Um, yeah. And is that what friendship is? That may well be what friendship is. They're the ones that show up when your when your nephew gets kidnapped to go. Right. <laughs> Well, so, and, and that's really interesting. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, contemporary uh, geopolitical resonance to that question. Because is there a difference between alliance and friendship, right? And, uh, and, and, and insofar as they're the same thing, um, does that mean um, that, you know, to, to borrow a phrase from a, uh, um, a former Israeli diplomat, now a member of Knesset, who, uh, who wrote a much... Uh, uh, talked about book uh, came out this summer um, said you know that there should be no public daylight right between uh, between uh, close allies and close friends right so um, is that you know so that's the geopolitical resonance but it's also true interpersonally right does that mean um, you know if, if if we're contrasting friend with enemy um, does that mean that uh, that to be that kind of friend like, you have to get somebody's back so much that um, that that it's that that you can never publicly disagree with them uh, for fear that it might weaken their position against their enemies, right? Um, yeah, I don't know if that's where you're going with it, but it just was what popped into my head. Um, all right, good. So. What I want to do is um, look at a model of friendship in uh, from the Talmud. This is a story from the Talmud, and and look at that story on its own merits, but also to the extent that we can through the lens of these texts, that through the prism of these texts, that might uh, give us um, you know ways of evaluating or understanding um, what's going on in the relationship that's being portrayed in, in this uh, text. Okay? Um, so, with that, I'm going to pass this around. I think we have enough. It's a, um, a fairly lengthy text, which is why I only gave it to you in, in English. Um, but suffice to say, uh, it uh, has an original. Um, so it comes from a, a tractate of the Talmud known as Chagiga, um, which refers to a, a, a special kind of uh, a holiday sacrifice that was offered. But Chagiga, because it's not a very long chapter, has some miscellaneous stuff in it. Um, and uh, uh, um, so this chapter in uh, Chagiga talks about the study of um, esoteric um, material, uh, mystical material, or uh, improving too deep into the questions of the universe. That's the sort of the general context of where this comes. Right? And, uh, and so the, the story that we're going to be reading is a fairly famous story. Some of you may have encountered it before in one way, shape, or form. Um, and in particular, if you've read a book by um, uh, a, uh, a, a Rabbi named Milton Steinberg, um, of blessed memory, uh, wrote a novel in the 50s called As a Driven Leaf, um, which is uh, in part based on this story, at least uses the characters from the story and, and the relationships of the story. If you haven't read As a Driven Leaf, you should read As a Driven Leaf. It's a great, great, great book. Um, and it's, in, it's, a, it's a fun read. It's, a, it's, a, it's summer reading. I mean, it's good. Um, <laughs> As a Driven Leaf by Milton Steinberg. Um, okay, so um, I'm going to just read the very first part of it in Hebrew just to get a sense of the poetry of it, and then we'll go into the English. Tzino Rabbanan arba'a nichnesu bepardes ve'eluhen ben Azai uben Zoma acher v'rabi Akiva. Amar lahem rabi Akiva, kshatem megi'in etzel avnei shayish tahor 
Al tomru ma'im ma'im mishum shenemar dover shekerim lo lo yichon lenegad enai. Ben Azai hitzitu meit alav katuv omer yakar beine adonai hamav telachasidav. Ben Zoma hitzitz venifga alav katuv omer davash matzat achol dayecha pen tispaenu vehaketo. Acher kitzet benetiot. Rabbi Akiva Yatsa B'Shalom. Our rabbis taught, now, now we're in the uh, text where, where the asterisk is. Our rabbis taught, four men entered the garden. Namely, Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, Acher, and Rabbi Akiva. Okay, so I, I don't want to get too deep into this part of the story. This part of the story could be a class in and of itself, um, but this is just the setup. Okay, so the setup. Uh, uh, four rabbis walk into a bar. Four rabbis walk into a bar, exactly. Right? Except for this bar uh, happens to be uh, heaven, right? That's what it means by the garden. The Hebrew term is pardes, paradise. Four men entered the, uh, but that that idea of it being a garden, uh, pardes also means an orchard. Um, comes up uh, again because there's this uh, uh, motif of. Um, of plants and destroying plants and uprooting plants and things like that, right? Mm. So, um, so there's a literary device <laughs> being used there. Um, so our rabbis taught four men entered paradise, namely Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, Acher, and Rabbi Akiva. Okay, so um, three of those four rabbis uh, are given names. Uh, ben Azai um, is a rabbi named Ben Azai. Um, he, I assume, had a first name too, but he's commonly known as Ben Azai. Uh, and um, that maybe that is a uh, nickname too, but um, but probably not. I mean, that's probably just how, how he was known. Benzoma also, uh, Rabbi Akiva, many of you have, uh, I'm sure, heard of, um, and Acher. Acher was not his name. Um, Acher is a, a Hebrew word. Anybody know what the Hebrew word Acher means? Other. Other, right? Um, another. Another, other outsider, right? Um, so, um, so that's really important to keep in mind because this is a rabbi that is identified as being an outsider. Now, one thing you need to know about, um, rabbinic culture, right, is that it was a very insider and outsider kind of culture, (laughs) right? And it still kind of is today, right? So like if you, if you, uh, believe and practice a certain way, if you have a certain level of learning, a certain orientation to Judaism and Jewish text, you're... An insider, right? You could be an insider, not particularly learned, but you know, uh, but you're still like within the system, right? And anybody who's not in the system is outside of the system. And if you uh, remember um, the uh, look at uh, the list of sources that we have, Mishnah Avot uh, one seven, Nitai the Arbelite used to say, "Keep far from a bad neighbor. Do not associate with a wicked person, and do not despair of divine retribution." Right? I think that that's the framework for um, uh, that, that we need to keep in the back of, the, our, of our mind for this text with a character labeled as the outsider, as the other, because in the rabbinic framework, if you are not squarely, comfortably inside the system, you're not only identified as somebody who's outside the system, but everybody who's inside the system is sort of instructed to stay away from you. Right? Okay. Rabbi Akiva said to them, 
When you arrive at stones of pure marble, say not, water, water. For it is said, he that speaketh falsehood shall not be established before mine eyes. All right, again, I don't want to get too deep into this. Rabbi Kiva is being cast um, as, as sort of like um, uh, Virgil leads Dante into the inferno, right? He's like sort of like Virgil leading Dante into the inferno. Well, maybe he's going the other way, but you get the idea, right? Um, uh, he's, Beatrice, yes, uh, there you go. Beatrice leads yeah. Dante into paradise? Okay, so, um, right, so that's what Rabbi, right, so that's what Rabbi Akiva is here. Um, and um, he's leading them into heaven. How he gets that role or that, uh, that, that honor, we don't get that background or that context in here, so that's a, a, a question for interpretation and debate. But anyway, he somehow knows like the ins and outs of heaven in the ways that these other rabbis don't, so he's um, acting as a guide. He's saying that you're going to get there and you're going to see all these like beautiful pure marble stones. It's going to be fantastic, and it's going to look like running water. Water, right? That's how pure and white and and, uh, and clear these stones are. Um, but when you see them, don't say that it's water because um, God can't abide lies in heaven, right? And so if you uh, see it and are mistaken and fooled by it, um, you'll something bad will happen to you, right? Uh, um, he who speaks falsehood shall not be established before my eyes, uh, which could mean um, if you say something false, you'll die. It could mean if you say something false, um, uh, you'll um, uh, uh, lose your place in heaven. It could mean any of those things. That's an important idea to remember that Rabbi Kiva is warning them against warning all of them against um, being deceived by what they see and speaking that deception um, out loud, right? So, um, so just because you entertain um, a false idea doesn't mean you have to actually say it, um, especially if you're warned not to say it. Um, and if you do, it could be bad for you, okay? So that's, uh, again, that could be a whole class in and of itself. Ben Azai cast a look and died. Of him, scripture says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Benzoma looked and became demented. Of him, scripture says, hast thou found honey, eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. Right, so um, we're, it's, it's unclear exactly what happens to Ben-Azai and Benzoma. Um, uh, ben, ben Azai, um, obviously, uh, both, both men obviously um, saw more than they could process, and their brains exploded, right? Um, one, one brain exploded uh, and died, and the other um, uh, just uh, became twisted. Um, mm-hmm. Acher mutilated the shoots. Uh. Rabbi Akiva departed unhurt. Okay, so um, so this is really just the background, but already here um, you have on some level, uh, uh, um, and this could be part of the conversation, so just something to keep in your mind as we look at the rest of the story, is um, this is not the model of friendship that I wanted us to look at, but there is a model of friendship here. Right? There is a model of at least relationship here. Right? The, the four rabbis have a relationship to each other, and Rabbi Akiva has a relationship to the four rabbis. Um, and 
you know, uh, sh- what should we make of Rabbi Akiva's role as a friend in this story? Does he, is he an effective friend? Is he a good friend? Um, why yes, why no? Um, you know, if, if you are leading your friends into harm's way, um, is it your responsibility if they get hurt but you walk out fine, right? Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I'm not trying to prejudice that. Um, but I think that, that it raises those questions. Rabbi Akiva departed unhurt. Acher mutilated the shoot. Okay, so if you look down in the um, in the commentary here, you see the footnote number ten. Uh, it says, "I.e., apostatized." Okay, scholars differ greatly regarding the nature of Acher's defection. Um, he has been variously described as a Persian Gnostic or Philonian dualist. Uh, we'll, we'll see why people say that. Uh, all that in a second, whatever that means, um, but mutilated the shoots is a, uh, you'll see why he uses that language um, a little bit later on, um, but he, something happened to Acher when he was in paradise um, that caused him to, um, to uh, uproot in his mind, in his being, um, uh, the, the, the saplings, the seedlings of um, of of rabbinic Judaism, right? So he he went in, and whatever he saw, and however he interpreted it, caused him um, to uh, to to uh, to say, "Forget this." Well, he's the only one who did something. Did something. The other two were just looking, right? Right. He was more active. And so, what does that tell you? Well, because he's the other, maybe either out of ignorance or maybe intent that he uh, uprooted the shoots where the others were just in awe. I mean, I think think that you see here kind of four potential reactions to seeing seeing paradise. And, I mean, we have death, insanity, apostasy, and just being awesome enough to somehow handle it. <laughs> Apparently because you've been there before. Right, right. Well, one was who his friend was, who he went with the first time. Did he get better, did he keep get better instruction the first time? Yeah, that's a good question. But, and, and I think, I mean, it seems as though we're given an indication by the naming that the least, that the one we're not supposed to do is apostasy. That insanity and death are preferable to apostasy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Well, yeah, because one is just you know even more destructive of others, right? I mean, actually, yeah, because you're uprooting not just for yourself but the other people. Yeah, right. right. You you become a dangerous person because you have proximity to truth, right? And 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 have the opposite conclusion based on your proximity to truth than somebody else, and so that's easily, that's easily transferable. Right? You, you yeah. have influence, right? Um, you're, more, you're very dangerous that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know where you're going with this, but... I don't know where I'm going with it either. It's, it, but I, just, like, we'll pop, no, 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 because we'll I... What in my I, head is Stephen Colbert's word, truthiness. Well, I, 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 don't, I just don't want to let anything out of the bag, but I, I have heard an inter- interpretation of this that it's pretty powerful, right? 
So we to hold it and yes. see if we... All right. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, uh, we're going to skip ahead. We're not going... Um, there's a, a, a little bit of a divert, digression to talk about Ben Azai and Benzoma. And you can take this home. You can read it yourself. We're going to skip to page 93. We're going to learn a little bit more about Acher. Okay. Acher mutilated the, the shoots. Rabbi Acha ben Jacob said... Oh, sorry. Uh, of him, scripture says, Acher mutilated the shoots. Of him, scripture says, suffer not thy mouth to bring thy flesh into guilt. What does that mean? Don't say stuff that gets you in trouble. Don't say stuff that gets <laughs> yeah. you in trouble. That's exactly. Right. So, by the way, this just um, we should have had that statement earlier, right? Just like Ben Azai and Ben Zoma, um, it says, you know, what happened to them, and of them, scripture says this, um, but it doesn't do that for Acher, it, like, saves him for later, because this is what the story is really about. The story is really about what happens to Acher. Um, not about them, so it just saves, it pushes it off. So, right, don't say something that's going to get you into trouble, okay? <laughs> that's, um, that's what it means by he mutilated the shoots, okay? Um, what does it refer to? He saw that permission was granted to Metatron, Metatron, to sit and write down the merits of Israel. Okay, so uh, again, this is still not the part of the story that I really want to focus on, um, but uh, but it's but it's just you know um, an interesting. Um, uh, this is the the Talmud's interpretation of what happened. And by the way, in other iterations of the story, this. Analysis doesn't exist of what happened to Acher when he was in paradise, what he saw, what caused him to do apostasy. It's not in every version. This is just the Talmud's version. Um, Metatron is um, uh, one of the chief angels in uh, Jewish uh, angelology, um, uh, and uh, and and uh, his primary role. Um, right, you see in the commentary here the the name of one of the highest angels. Um, his primary role is um, uh, is to um, uh, um, he's basically God's right hand angel. Okay, so he saw that permission was granted to Metatron to sit and write down the merits of Israel. Right, to basically you know the book that you uh, talk about on Rosh Hashanah. Right, Acher got into heaven and saw that Metatron was writing in the book. By the way, I can't. This just is a, really an aside. I, it's hard for me to um, hold back to hold back from <laughs> Metatron and not think about Transformers. Right. Yes, yeah. right, 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 right. Dogma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Yes, that true. But that too. But, uh, Some right. type of automaton. Uh, right. <laughs> He's a, well, Metatron's a Decepticon, and in here he's really a Decepticon. Megatron. Right, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but it's just, you know, anyway. um, All right. Close enough. Um, said he, it is taught as a tradition that on high there is no sitting and no emulation and no back and no weariness. Um, in other words, um, I was taught as a student in yeshiva, I was taught in rabbinical school, uh, Acher says, that in heaven um, there is, there's no such thing as sitting down. Right? And there's also no such thing as, um, as emulation and no back and no weariness. Right? Um, but yet, I'm seeing one of the highest beings um, sitting down right? and writing down the merits of Israel. Perhaps, God forfend, there are two divinities. Right? So this is what um, Acher, Acher was trying to process what he had been, learned in rabbinical school, learned in yeshiva, with what he saw in heaven. And he saw a disparity between those things. And so there are 
obviously many uh, different uh, ways he could have taken it. He said, well, maybe I misunderstood what I learned in rabbinical school. Maybe I'm not seeing properly what I'm seeing here. His interpretation is maybe there, maybe there are two divinities, right? Maybe there's a divinity that doesn't sit and doesn't have emulation, doesn't have back and doesn't have weirdness, and maybe there's a divinity that does, right? Maybe there are two gods, which if you know anything about Judaism, is uh, uh, puts you outside this uh, puts you outside this. Right? We just learned it in our Torah portion this week, right? Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Here Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? Uh, once you say maybe there are two gods, right? You're, you're in trouble. You're out of you're, you're out of you're out of the box. You're in you're in no man's land. Your flesh is in trouble. <laughs> um, thereupon. They led Metatron forth and punished him with sixty fiery lashes, saying to him, Why didst thou not rise before him when thou didst see him? All right. So, so the other angels are not happy with uh, Metatron's uh, lack of foresight. Right. That that in some way he bears responsibility for um, Acher's apostasy. But nevertheless, permission was then given to him to strike out the merits of Acher. In other words, so he's writing down, you know, in the book of life, right? Um, you should have, you, it's partially your responsibility that he committed this apostasy, but nevertheless, he had a choice of how you'd interpret that data, and he made a choice, so um, you get to wipe out his merits, meaning, um, uh, you know, no getting into heaven for him. Abat Kol, a divine voice, went forth and said, Return ye backsliding children. The, the Hebrew phrase is shuvu banim shovavim. Um, shuvu literally means return, but it also has um, uh, evokes the Hebrew term teshuvah, which means repentance, right? To, to turn around, right? To, to um, stop the bad deed that you're doing and um, return to a, um, a more pure, more godly, more righteous uh, way of being, right? And so... Um, uh, 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 it's a phrase from the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, Shuvu banim shovim, like you can return to God. So a divine voice went forth and said, Return ye backsliding children, except Acher. Right? In other words, everybody, every Jew has the possibility for repentance and return. Right? Uh, so heaven is not out of reach for any Jew, except for Acher. Hmm. Let's keep on going. Thereupon he said, Acher said, Since I have been driven forth from yonder world, let me go forth and enjoy this world. Right? Well, that makes perfect sense, right? If you're not going to get into heaven anyway, you might, and there's no possibility of you getting into heaven, you might as well uh, have live fun, while, right? Live it up while you're alive, right? Um, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Um, so Acher went forth into evil courses. Um, the the uh, Hebrew there is tarbut uh, ra'ah, um, which means the evil culture, really. What's, what's the evil culture? The not Jewish culture. Right. And in the time of uh, um, uh, 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 the time period that we're talking about, anybody have a the Romans? Rome, right? He went into Roman society, right? He became a Roman. Which is like the card, the worst thing that Whoa. you can do, right? Whoa. Win in Rome, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, right, and so you'll see what the Romans do. He went forth, found a harlot, and demanded her. 
the, the Hebrew is really more like he hired her, right? Uh, but this, is, this is like this is like uh, uh, early twentieth century British. Um, so I, that that may be what how they said euphemism. It. So, yeah. Anyway, that that by the way is not his sin. Okay. Um, uh, uh, she said to him, "Art thou not Elisha ben Abuya?" That's the first time we see his name. Um, his name is Elisha ben Abuya. Um, the text, why it's you know the context of it. Um, you know the background that we were just looking at uh, prejudices the story by calling him Acher from the beginning, um, but it seems very clear from the story that he had not otherized himself before he went into heaven. So it could have started by saying um, Ben Zoma Ben Azai, Elisha Ben Abuya, and Rabbi Akiva all went into heaven. It doesn't it says Acher, but anyway, his name is Elisha Ben Abuya. So he hires this prostitute, and the prostitute says, "Hey, I recognize you. You're my rabbi, right? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? What are you doing here, right? Um, you're a long way from Yavne, buddy, all right? And uh, um, but when." <laughs> But when he tore a radish out of its bed on the Sabbath and gave it to her, she said, it is another. It is Acher. That's his sin. Right? That's the statement that he has uh, stepped totally outside the system. Not the hiring of the prostitute. We take that for whatever it is. That's okay. But the, the <laughs> ripping out of a radish on the Sabbath is a statement that um, I am no longer part of, uh, of, of, of this Jewish system. Okay. That's, that's all background. Now we get to the friendship. After his apostasy, Acher asked Rebbe Meir a question, saying to him, what is the meaning of the verse, God hath made even the one as well as the other? He replied, it means that for everything that God created, he created also its counterpart. He created mountains, and he created hills, he created seas, and he created rivers. All right. So, um, again, remember, against the backdrop of that Mishnah that says, keep far from a bad neighbor, do not associate with a wicked person. And so this is after his apostasy, after he had um, been rejected from and rejected uh, being inside the system of rabbinic Judaism. He's hanging out with Rabbi Meir. Maybe more to the point, Rabbi Meir is hanging out with him. Mm -hmm. Mm. And what are they doing? They're discussing Torah. They're discussing Torah. Um... So, Elisha ben Abu Acher asks, you know, what's the meaning of this verse? And Rabbi Meir replies um, that, that, that God created, uh, you know, equal and opposite things. Said Acher to him, Rabbi Akiva, your master did not explain it that way, but as follows. He created righteous and created wicked. He created the Garden of Eden and created Gehenna. Gehenna is the Garden of Eden is the... Um, rabbinic term for heaven. Gehenna is the rabbinic term for hell. Um, the hell that you're taught in Hebrew school that Jews don't believe in. Uh, that is news to the uh, rabbis of the Talmud. All right. everyone, everyone has two portions. One in the Garden of Eden and one in Gehenna. The righteous man, being meritorious, takes his own portions and his fellow's portion in the Garden of Eden. The wicked man, being guilty, takes his own portion and his fellow's portion in Gehenna. In other words, so there's there, 
presumes, I guess, a balance in the world between uh, good people and bad people, and the good person takes the place of the bad person in heaven and his own place, the bad person takes the place of the righteous person and his own place in hell. Um, Then there's a, a, a later editorial aside. Rabbi Misharshia said, uh, what is the biblical proof for this? In the case of the righteous, it is written, therefore, in their land they shall possess double. In the case of the wicked, it is written, and destroy them with double destruction. After his apostasy, Acher asked Rabbi Meir, what is the meaning of the verse, gold and glass cannot equal it, neither shall the exchange thereof be vessels of fine gold? He answered, these are the words of Torah which are hard to acquire like vessels of fine gold, but are easily destroyed like vessels of glass. All right, so whether this is an actual conversation or a literary device, the, 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 the textual discussion is getting a little bit more personal here. It was already pretty personal in talking about, um, uh, um, you could see Acher's processing of his place in the world following um, uh, his rejection from heaven and his, reje- and his own rejection of Judaism. And the only way he can see the verse, or the way he assumes Rabbi Akiva would have taught to see the previous verse, is um, about divine justice. Right? Um, you're going to go to heaven, Rabbi Mayer. You're going to take my place. I'm going to go to hell. I'll take your place. Right? And now there's another question about gold and glass cannot equal it, neither shall the exchange thereof be vessels of fine gold. Rabbi Mayer's answer is loaded here. Right, um, that uh, it's uh, it's hard to acquire Torah. Right, it's you know the rabbinical school's long, um, but it's uh, um, uh, but it's easy to lose Torah, like vessels of glass. Right, so all of that learning, all of that life of piety, gone in a moment when you enter heaven and say something false. Said Acher to him, Rabbi Akiva, thy master, did not explain it thus, but as follows. Just as vessels of gold and vessels of glass, though they be broken, have a remedy, even so a scholar, though he has sinned, has a remedy. Thereupon Rabbi Meir said to him, Then thou too repent. He replied, I have already heard from behind the veil, Return ye backsliding children, except Acher. Right? Right, that stings. Um, so, but this, right, this is a loaded conversation. Right? They're not just like casually talking verses, right? They're talking about like the depths of Acher's soul and the nature of divine justice. And um, and and uh, Rabbi Meir's statement reads to me as a very um, compassionate statement, um, a, a way of interpreting it um, on the level of uh, Acher's of Elisha Benabuya's psyche. Right, um, like I get it. It's like really hard to learn Torah and really easy to lose it, right? And that that's an uphill battle, but it's a winnable battle, right? And Acher sees the verse um, through the prism of repentance, right? What what can be fixed? And he says that that uh, that that losing Torah, uh, sinning, can be fixed. And Rabbi Meir says, "Yes, you're right, right? If that's true, then you can be fixed too." You can come back. And Acher says his sense of himself, whether it's true, whether it's not true, is everybody can come back except for me. Our rabbis taught. Once Acher was riding on a horse on the Sabbath, and Rabbi Meir was walking behind him to learn Torah at his mouth. So, uh, 
Bible scholars here, uh, or Jewish legal scholars, um, uh, what do you make of that riding a horse on the Sabbath? Well, you're making the horse work, right? You are making the horse work, right? And uh, so is it permitted on the Sabbath or not permitted on the Sabbath? Not permitted on the Sabbath. Uh, uh, On the one hand, you're not allowed to make your animal work. That's uh, explicit from the Torah. Um, On the other uh, hand, you're not... uh, I'm going to have three hands here. Uh, You're uh, you're not allowed to travel more than a certain distance on Sabbath. And when you're riding a horse, it increases the likelihood that you'll travel uh, that distance. And third... um, uh, the rabbi said that uh, if you're riding a horse, you might be inclined to rip off a branch to whip your horse, which you can't do on Shabbat. Right? The, the ripping off branch, whipping, you know, ripping off a branch and whipping um, are uh, images that are already evoked in the story, just as a literary uh, note. Um, but anyway, so Achim is riding on a horse. Right? Another example of his um, his either self-imposed or um, imposed exile from the. Um, from the Jewish community. And Rabbi Meir was walking behind him to learn Torah at his mouth. So in other words, Rabbi Meir is observing Shabbat, but he's still still looking at it through this prism of keep far from a bad neighbor, do not associate with a wicked person, because Rabbi Meir is walking right alongside or right behind somebody who is um, blatantly in public breaking the Sabbath. And learning from him, learning Torah from him. Said Acher to him, Mayor, turn back, for I have already measured by the paces of my horse that thus far extends the Sabbath limit. So what so what is what so what is Acher doing here? What is Elisha Ben Uli doing here? He's, he's, tell, he's, he's telling protecting his friend from yeah, he's telling his his friend not to sin. Right. When he's in the midst of a sin right. himself. Right. <laughs> Right, right. Um, He replied, Thou too go back. Right, a loaded statement because it can either mean like stop riding your horse and turn around because you're approaching the Sabbath limit, or something more uh, expansive than that, right? Return to the good Jew you once were. Acher answered, Have I not already told you? that I have already heard from behind the veil, return ye backsliding children, except Acher. Right? Um, that, uh, that, that I've already heard that everybody can repent except for me. Rabbi Meir prevailed upon him and took him to a schoolhouse. Acher said to a child, recite for me thy verse. The child answered, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. He then took him to another schoolhouse. Acher said to a child, Recite for me thy verse. He answered, For thou, for though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. Hmm. He took him to yet another schoolhouse, and Acher said to a child, Recite for me thy verse. He answered, Recite for me thy verse means like, Teach me what you're learning, right? Um, and thou... Thou art spoiled. What doest thou that thou clothest thyself with scarlet, that thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, that thou enlargest thine eyes with paint? In vain dost thou make thyself fair. He took him to yet another schoolhouse until he took him to 13 schools, all of them quoted in a similar vein. So just, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a tweet, what's, this, what's the general theme of those verses? 
are screwed. The wicked are screwed, right? You can do whatever you want. You can wash your clothes. Yeah. You can put on nice, you know, you can put on makeup. You, 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 you cannot can cover it up. You, you can't cover it up, right? <laughs> right? There's, there's no, right? So, this bloodshot water so, to see it kind of thing. So in you know in, in some ways uh, what what these kids are learning in school reinforces Acher's sense of his um, irredeemability, right? And and contradicts Rabbi Meir's. <clears throat> he then took him to another to yet another schoolhouse until he took him to thirteen schools, all of them quoted in a similar vein. When he said to the last one, "Recite for me thy verse," he answered, "But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes?" That child was a stutterer, so it sounded as though he answered, But to Elisha, God saith. Some say that Acher had a knife with him, and he cut him up and sent him to the thirteen schools. And some say that he said, Had I a knife in my hand, I would have cut him up. So, the last verse, as it extends, is it, is it in the same vein as the previous ones, or is it in a different vein from the previous ones? What do you think? I'm inclined to think that it's on, in a different vein because Alicia clearly doesn't like what he's hearing. And Alicia seems to be in a bit of a masochistic state where he wants to hear that the wicked are doomed. So, so you're, you're saying that, uh, that what he hears in that statement is that the wicked are not doomed. Yeah. And he's not happy about hearing that. Yes. Other thoughts? I just don't know what the passage is that he's. Um, so, right. <laughs> because the, what the etc. is seems seems relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's from Psalms, right? Right. Yeah. Psalms. Psalms. Um, Fifty verse sixteen. Yeah, this will do for now. Um, <laughs> Anybody want any coffee? Um, mm. Psalms fifty sixteen, right? Alice fifty. Yeah, Alice yeah. fifty. All right, this is only have uh, English here. So, um, uh, God's word to the wicked man is this: What right have you to recite my laws and make so free with the words of my covenant? You who hate correction and turn your back when I am speaking. Okay, so it's in the same vein. It's in the same vein. Yeah, it's in the same vein. Um, but 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 what's really interesting is that it's personalized, right? Right. I mean, this is a kid who's basically who who's a total stranger, presumably he just walks into the class, and he, and because he's stuttering, it sounds like he's saying for Alicia. Right, I mean, he, he's trying to he's trying to quote the verse, but it comes at so it actually, it's like God is speaking to Alicia. Yeah, um, I don't know how you get wicked to sound like Alicia, even with a stutter, but uh, in Hebrew, the, the device, right? yeah. So that, well, the, I mean, the Hebrew the Hebrew makes it probably a little bit more clear. Alicia Yeah, exactly. Why? Ula Rasha. Right, Ula right. Yeah. So, uh, oh, okay, so it does work in Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's stuttering, and so, you know. No, no, I guess the, the, the question that I have, uh, I mean, there, there are two things that I want to note here, right? The first is, I, well, not two things I want to note. One thing I want to note, and then an then a open question that I, that I have. 
The thing I want to note is um, that um, Rabbi Meir takes him to all of these schools, um, and of all of the verses that they could be studying and practicing, uh, and, and uh, each of the schools um, is fixated on, um, on on a Torah of um, of strict judgment um, and and punishment, right? Which is not the Torah that uh, Rabbi Meir is teaching to Elisha. Um, it is the Torah that Rabbi that that Elisha thinks that Rabbi Akiva would have been teaching, um, but it's not the Torah that Rabbi Meir is teaching. So I guess the question I have is why is Rabbi Meir taking him to all these schools? I wouldn't have thought it's, it's some hope that he would turn himself around, that he would hear something that would put him back on a righteous path. Mm. Mm. And and so therefore, I'm, I'm sympathetic to Alicia because if there is no out for me, then why should I bother? Right. So, but, but, but you would hope that there is some way to redeem yourself. But so is Rabbi Meyer, right? Rabbi Meyer is trying to prove that Elisha, in spite of his natural tendencies, can potentially repent. So he's trying to prove to him that, what, you know, that while you think that it's impossible, I'm going to show you that it is right. possible. Right. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Mayor's not giving up on Elisha. Right. Yes. Like, he really believes that he can, in him. He that, can do it. Yeah. And so is Rabbi Mayor disappointed by what he's hearing in all of these schools, or is it what he expected to hear? He was hoping to hear something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it certainly it certainly seems you know like a plausible, a, a really plausible way of reading it. Because if he had heard what he wanted to hear in the first school, he wouldn't have gone to another school. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, so, and I think that that's right. And I think that uh, Shauna is is right in the money with this, right? Rebbe Mayer refuses to give up on Alicia. Um, he's yeah. going to take him to school after school yeah. in order to, to, until he finds a school that can prove his point. Unfortunately, he doesn't find a school that proves his point, uh, and it sets Alicia off even worse. Well, when you think, Rabbi, Rabbi Mayer must really, really like this guy, because here he is trying to learn Torah from him, while he's, you know, he's blatantly, openly, publicly, you know, breaking the Shabbos. Right, so he must have some sense of connection to him that's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. And so, and we'll see that in the uh, coda to the story. Okay, so the coda to the story is this: When Acher died, they said, "Let him not be judged, nor let him enter the world to come. Let him not be judged, because they is the rest of the rabbis. Um, uh, let let him not be judged because he engaged in the study of Torah. Let him not enter the world to come because he sinned." Right? So don't judge him because he was a Torah scholar, and if you judge him, uh, his sins will outweigh his merits, and then he'll have to go to hell. But he can't, he's not allowed to go to heaven because he sinned, right? Um, Rabbi Meir said, it were better that he should be judged and that he should enter the world to come. In other words, um, it's better that he be judged, and when he's judged, I, I'm convinced that, that, uh, that there'll be enough expiation, that, he'll, that there'll have been enough atonement, enough conflict over the sin, that he'll get to go to heaven. When I die, I shall cause smoke to rise from his grave. 
All right, that's uh, um, a rabbinic tradition that, uh, that when you're judged and punished for your sins, uh, smoke rises from your grave. Um, let that be a lesson to you. Um, <laughs> when Rabbi Meir died, smoke rose up from Acher's grave. So he was judged, right? And now the problem, of course, is that as the rabbis predicted, let him not be judged um, uh, for, um, for he engaged in the study of the Torah. But if he's judged, he's going to um, be counted for his sins and not be able to go into heaven. So he's going to be judged and he's going to have to go to the hell that Jews are taught that they're not supposed to believe in. Um, so smoke rose up from Acher's grave. Rabbi Yochanan said, what a mighty deed to burn his master. There was one amongst us, and we cannot save him. If I were to take him by the hand, who would snatch him from me? So he said, when I die, I shall extinguish the smoke from his grave. When Rabbi Yochanan died, the smoke ceased from Acher's grave. The public mourner began his oration concerning him, Rabbi Yochanan, thus, even the janitor could not stand before thee, O master. Um, the, the janitor is the, the, the guard of the gates of hell, right? And so uh, what, what happens here in, in the coda to Acher's life story is that Rabbi Meir, even in death, um, uh, strives to uh, um, uh, bring him back from, uh, from, uh, from, from the brink. He's not fully able to do that. So Rabbi Yochanan takes up Rabbi Meir's cause takes him by the hand and uh, takes him to heaven with him. remember go back to the um, um, to the uh, um, teaching before right. that uh, that the righteous when they die they take two portions in heaven right so Rabbi Yochanan can take Rabbi Meir, uh, Elisha Benabuya with him okay I want to finish I, I, I want uh, um, uh, I, there's one last piece to the story that um, is not technically about the friendship aspect, but it's, I think, Im- important to include. And then I just want to open it up for your thoughts about what this teaches us about um, friendship. Acher's daughter once came before Rabbi. Rabbi is um, Rabbi Judah the Prince, um, who uh, uh, was the editor of the Mishnah. So a really important rabbi. Uh, that's why he's called Rabbi. He's the only one who's just called Rabbi. And said to him, O master, support me. Right? Meaning like, I'm, 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 I'm poor and hungry, feed me. He asked her, whose daughter are you? She replied, I am Acher's daughter. Said he, are any of his children left in the world? Behold, it is written, he shall have neither son nor son's son among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. She answered, remember his Torah and not his deeds. In other words, um, he's not all bad. And don't account me for his sins, account me by his merits. Right? You have, a, you have the choice in looking at a person, whether you're going to look at their evil or look at their good. Um, and you doubly have a choice about whether you're going to um, uh, hold their children accountable for their transgressions. Forthwith, a fire came down and enveloped Rabbi's bench. In other words, um, uh, God is unhappy with Rabbi's um, disposition toward Acher's daughter. Thereupon Rabbi wept and said, If it be so on account of those who dishonor her, how much more so on the account of those who honor her. In other words, if uh, God is burning the benches of people who, uh, who dishonor her, right? Um, how much should the reward be for people who, uh, who give her the, the her proper The commentary here says the first, the Torah. 
that, that if this is done for one who, who if 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 the rabbi is is if if God is so indignant on behalf of those who dishonor the Torah, how much more so? At least that that's the comment, that's the note down here. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think that that's a plausible way of interpreting it. I'm not sure if that seems to me as the plain meaning of the text, but uh, but a lot of times in Talmud you have those double entendres, right? Um, so he could either be talking about those who dishonor Torah and, and so uh, how. Uh, they're they're regarded, um, or her being specifically well, so out there. The reason daughter. why I'd be inclined to read it as Torah here is because how much more so doesn't make sense. Because in, in the if we read her as Achor's daughter, because you you wouldn't keep it was not saying because this seems to be a punishment for those who dishonor Achor's daughter. How much more so for those who honor her? You wouldn't keep going in the same direction. No, but you, but the but the inverse is true, right? If you honor her, there's reward, right? So all the more so if you honor her, there's reward. I hear what you're saying. It's not so. You know. So so there's I, I think there's a, a deep lesson here about the difference because between knowledge and action, between what you know and what you do, because presumably Acher was a great scholar, was very knowledgeable in Torah, because I mean, that was his value to Rabbi Meir. I mean, Rabbi Meir wanted to learn Torah from him. He must have had a great deal of knowledge. But obviously there was a problem because in spite of all the knowledge he had, in spite of all the textual you know, um, familiarity that he had and understanding that he had, it didn't translate into how he behaved. And so the bottom line is, is it important what you know or important what you do? Or, who, or is it important who your friends are, given that he apparently does make it in at, at the very end of this? Albeit probably with only a single push because he's sharecropping on Rabbi Yochanan's right. <laughs> so maybe it's really, maybe this is the ultimate case of it's, it's who you know. I mean, well, and it ultimately comes back to Torah. Yeah. Right, because Torah is a book. Right, Torah is knowledge. Torah is written. Right, Torah is not an actor. Right, we are the actors. And the question is, how does our knowledge of Torah connect to our choices and the decisions that we make about how we behave in the world? It's really interesting to me, though, that. He's able to be ransomed. This circles back to like the the whole we're responsible for our fellows, right? Um, you know, someone who cares enough about him is able to to give him redemption when he isn't go get it for himself. Right. So we make of that. Um. I mean, I think we're supposed to emulate Mayor. Is the point of all of that? Yeah. yeah. The feeling is more important. No. You said. Yochanan, when I read the plain text, why do we believe that Yochanan brought him back up to heaven rather than just yanking him back to a a prejudged condition? Because the smoke ceasing seems to me as though it could could be either one. It could be saying, Rabbi Rabbi Mayer wouldn't want him suffering in hell. Rabbi Mayer was wrong, uh, was wrong about how the end judgment would wind up. I'm going to undo my master's mistake. Uh, you could be right. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
you know, but but so so I mean, even even if you are right, um, it's it, it I think still um, holds what Bree is yeah. saying, right? That uh, um, there's you, both for Mayor to Alicia and from Rabbi Yochanan to Rabbi Mayor and to Alicia, um, there's a there's a sense of um, a, a deep responsibility for the well-being of your fellow. Right and uh, for the welfare of your fellow, right and 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 that I think is at the core of this narrative of uh, of, of friendship, right? That that it's not, and someone mentioned this, right? It's it's um it's not just like like who you hang out with, go to the movies with, etc. It may be even the opposite of that. The in rabbinic tradition, um, rabbinic tradition has a very dim view of leisure time, right? So um, so there's not really such a thing in uh, in the rabbinic view of uh, of like uh, of Extracurricular activities, you're either uh, you're either engaged in Torah or you're diminishing Torah, right? That's the the uh, Rabbi Artson, my teacher, uh, has a very strong uh, view of this and, and categorizes a lot of things as bitul Torah, which is uh, meaning like time spent on anything other than um, uh, Torah, um, which includes family time and stuff like that, obviously. But uh, um, but like you know, watching TV, going to Sports events, things like that, uh, he considers those beautiful tour. Um, so, in in the rabbinic context, um, it's not it's not about hanging out with somebody. It's about um, uh, having a uh, deep sense of responsibility for that person, and it goes both ways in this story, right? Alicia has it for Rabbi Mayer too. Even when Alicia's outside of the system, there's a great line in uh, As a Driven Leaf. Um, uh, that's connected to that, which is um, no matter what other doubts we may entertain, um, we can always rely on the reality of friendship. And in a world where so little is certain, that means a great deal, right? So in other words, um, even when Alicia sees himself as irredeemably outside the system, he holds, I think, as a core value, the system's perspective on what it means to be a true friend to somebody. Right to look out for their welfare, to look out for their well-being, and I, and I love that scene where they're riding, where he's riding the horse, and um, and he says, "I've been counting the footsteps of the horse. You're almost at the Sabbath boundary, Ruby Mayor. Go back. I don't want you to get in trouble." Right, right. And uh, and Ruby Mayor says, um, "I'm not so worried about that. I'm worried about you." Right, um, and you know, I, I I don't know how many of you have a significant amount of friendships that really feel like that, right? That, that feel like that scene where, um, where you're sort of like outdoing each other on uh, how much you are willing to sacrifice yourself for them, how much you're willing to care about their well-being even over your own. Um, and there's a resilience to Rebbe Mayer um, with, uh, with Alicia. Rebbe Mayer refuses to give up on Alicia, Right? He refuses to let go of the relationship, even though, uh, from the tradition's framework, he should have slammed the door on him. Right. Right. And 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 so you know that goes to uh, this this idea of you know uh, being allies, the opposite of enemies, whatever. Right. Um, uh, the the idea being that um, that that. Um, uh, I think of how I want to put this, but um, uh, a a model for friendship. I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, because there, there, I am sure, and uh, later on uh, you have rabbis debating whether or not Rabbi Mayer did the right thing. Um, so a, a question is, um, you know, is Rabbi Mayer uh, worthy of emulation here, right? Is, was he, was he, 
wrong to stay so connected to somebody who um, is so um, identified with wickedness, um, or is he, um, or is he a model? Right? Is uh, that that um, that you know um, that friend who is struggling with um, addiction or in jail or um, or you know is like mixed up with bad people, whatever it is, right? Um, how how far should you go to not give up on that person? Right. I mean, the next paragraph actually is absolutely fantastic. I think because it it. It tells you what Rebbe Mayer's motive was. Yeah. Right. Want to share it? Yeah. Basically, they they you know the question is why are you sticking with this guy? You know, as bad as he is, and Rebbe Mayer says, "Incline thine ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply thy heart unto my knowledge." Who's speaking? God is speaking. Yeah. Right. And what Rabbi Mayer is saying is. It doesn't say unto their knowledge, right? It doesn't say pay attention to him because he's a smart guy and he'll tell you what he knows, right? He's saying if it's Torah, okay, what he's giving you is God's knowledge, right? I mean, through, through his understanding of Torah. So in other words, I can learn Torah from him because he's a great Torah scholar in spite of the fact that he's a screwball. You know, I mean that he, you know that he's totally messed up, and and be, so that there is a, still a value, you know, to me personally, to you know, to to track him and stay and try and protect him and try and save him. Right. And so just to, just to wrap up, um, the the I, I think that's a good place to to move to conclusion because the the model of friendship here and that we'll see. Um, over and over again in various forms um, is that of um, is that of teacher student study partner right that 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 true friendship is about what you learn from somebody else and what you're able to um, what wisdom you're able to offer them so when you see in the um, texts that we looked at at the very beginning um, the uh, Rabba's statement o chavruta o mituta either friendship or death, the term chavruta has, you know, really um, uh, um, uh, layered significance, right? Chaver means a friend, but chavruta is a study partner, right? Um, it's someone you learn from and provide teaching to and uh, use as a, uh, not use, but um, engage as a sounding board to refine your own learning and refine your own argument. And then, you know, so I harped on uh, Nitai Harbeli's statement about keeping far from a bad neighbor, but it's worth noting that Joshua ben Prachia and Nitai, uh, are, uh, the Arbalite, um, uh, who are come one right after the other in the Mishnah, are themselves chavruta, they're themselves study partners, they're themselves friends, and Joshua ben Prachia, I think, has the exact opposite view of Nitai the Arbalite. Joshua ben Prachia says, get yourself a teacher, acquire a companion, and there are many commentaries that say that those are two complementary things, right? That a, that, that a, a companion really should be a rav, right? And you should be a rav to your companion. You should be a teacher to your companion and give everyone the benefit of the doubt, right? In other words, um, that 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 
uh, everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something to teach. Um, and so, you know, you could categorize somebody as a bad neighbor, um, but maybe you need to weigh them in a different scale. Maybe you need to weigh them in a different balance and give them the opportunity um, to provide you with learning, provide you with teaching. Rabbi Mayer um, doesn't stop learning from Alicia Benabuya even after he leaves the rabbinic culture. Um, and Alicia never stops learning from Rabbi Mayer even after uh, he leaves. They still maintain that uh, teacher student study partner dynamic. So there is, I think, a lot to take out of this about um, the resilience that Rebbe Mayer has and Alicia has with with regard to their friendship, the way in which they are both trying to uh, protect and strengthen and, um, and, and help each other grow, um, and the way in which a, a, a model for relationship and friendship in the Jewish tradition um, is, is that of, uh, of, of teacher, somebody who pushes us uh, to, um, to be our best selves, um, who imparts wisdom and helps us refine our own understanding.